You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. So hello, um, I'm Gaynor, I've got four children, I'm married to Paul. We have two sheds in our garden because we have four children. Because as a mum, I have often had to be a peacemaker and sometimes our house is just too small for that to happen successfully. So we built these two sheds for our children and their friends to spend many happy occasions playing poker and doing what young people do. But this morning I'm delighted to be able to talk to you about peace. And um, as a mum of four, I really love my children, but none of them are here this morning, so I feel it's okay for me to say that actually my children cause me uh, a lot of stress. (laughs) A lot of stress. So I was coming out of Lidl, on the last Saturday of um, half term, and I met another parent, and she said to me, are you ready then for the open days? Open days, sorry? Yeah, it, it's the open days now, all throughout June and July, university for all the year 12s, you get to go to open days. No, a little bit of stress. Okay, we, we're not doing any open days. I've got a son in year 12, not mentioned open days at all. So we get home and I think, right, okay, I need to plan to go look at some universities if you want to go, Joshua. No, it's all right, it's all right. I just, I got, no, it's all right. We need to go. We find out that lots of places are booked by this time. You can't go, it's too late if you try and book in June. But we eventually, we say, right, let's just go, and we choose one. So we decide to go to look at Oxford. And I begin to get a bit nervous, because I don't like driving on the motorway, and I don't like going to new places, but I have to take him. So there's a little bit of stress in my bucket already. And then he says, oh, can we take Joe? All right, let's take Joe. All right, and can we take um, so-and-so? Okay, yeah, we can take so-and-so. And before I know it, I've got a car full of your 12s who are coming with me and I'm taking them and I'm responsible for getting them on the motorway to a city that I've never been to and park in and deliver them for nine o'clock where they booked in for their first session. And then he says, well, they live in Bristol. So is there any chance that they could stay here overnight? I say, okay, but um, we're going to be leaving at half past six because I'm not going to be late and I need to get there in time. Okay, so they all stay overnight. And then Paul's brother wants to stay as well, which is great because we love David very much. So now I've got six for tea. We've got two students. We've got people staying over in Bristol and we've got Paul's brother. Where are we all going to sleep? So my stress levels are rising, rising before we've even left Bath. We wake up, 5am of course I'm up, ready to go. 6.30 we're leaving boys. 6.10 one of the boys in the shower. 6.15 he's still in the shower. 6.20, he wanders down to have breakfast. I suggest to him, we're leaving at 6.30. Why not bring your breakfast with you? And on the way to the car, just pick up your shoes and we'll be all ready to go. I know we have to leave by 6.45 because you can't get up to Tokyo. If you don't get up there before 7 o'clock, you're stuck for half an hour. I see some people nodding who've been stuck there for half an hour. And my stress is building 
But we get there. We get on the motorway, and it's great. They're all in the back, and everybody's playing their music. I got Bronwyn with me. That's my younger daughter, because I thought, I, I need somewhere to have coffee with afterwards when I arrive at this awful city. And I'm on the motorway, and like it's the sun is coming right in my eyes. And I know I've got to get out because I need to overtake because we're running a bit late. And I pulled on the blind and it doesn't quite make it because I'm, I'm a bit small in my car. And it's like I'm on the motorway and I'm feeling really stressed, but it's okay. I know I just need to get off at Junction 15. Then it's a little bit of the A19. Then it's the turn into Oxford, A420. Okay, Junction 15, Junction 15, I'm there. I turn off. It's the A19. Okay, that's great. Looking for the signs for Oxford. Okay, I come off here. Okay, A420. We're at a roundabout. Where's the signs for Oxford? Okay, we're at another roundabout. Where's the signs for Oxford? Bromwyn, get, get the satin on. Quick, 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 quick. Bromwyn, 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 where? Before we know it, I'm in a housing estate in Swindon. It's, it's the place of roundabouts, isn't it? Swindon. And it's like, oh, you know, my stress level's increasing, increasing. But eventually, we get on the A420, and I, I, I'm almost losing it. We're in a five-mile tailback. Were you on the A420? It was June the 30th. Because I'm sure all the world was on the A420 with me in this traffic jam heading to Oxford. We get into Oxford and I say, right, you need to make 9am, okay? It's now 8.35. What I'm going to do, forget the park and ride. I'm going straight into the middle. Drop you then, then I'll park. No, 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 no. Q, 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 Q. But park and ride is free. The lane for the park and ride, nobody in there. Zoom in, zoom in, zoom in, and would you know it? Would you know it? I turn into the park and ride and praise the Lord so loudly. There is a bus waiting for us. I zoom in. I go around. How do I get there? I get as close as I can to the bus. I say to the boys, right, out the car, quick, put your shoes back on now, Joe. Into the car, over the barricade. Look, there's the bus. Get on it. Bit faster now, boys. Okay. There's the bus. Out you go. Run, boys. Run for the bus. Now, run for the bus. Okay. It's all right. And I just sit there with Bronwyn. It's just like, we did it. We did it. And I see the bus go off with the three boys. But the three boys aren't on the bus. They're still on the pavement. The bus has been there two minutes. Two minutes. But they were afraid to knock on the door and say, we'd like to get on. Three intelligent 17-year-old boys. So Jesus said, my peace I leave you. My peace I give you. And on Thursday, 30th of June, I was not in a place of peace. And you will have all your own stories about how stress can build up and up and up. And I'm so glad Joe asked me to talk on this topic because I really need to know about peace. So what does peace mean to you? For me, on that day, peace would have been the, the absence of stress. The absence of the, the knot in my stomach as I knew I had to drive on the motorway. The absence of worry or anxiety about making a deadline. 
And I think for some of us, peace sometimes means no more depression. No more feeling unsettled. No more kind of that sense of feeling uncomfortable about life or who we are. When we think of peace, we often think about that absence of something negative. Jesus said, my peace I give you. So what does Jesus' peace look like? What is God's peace? When we read the word peace in our English Bible, that's the word that's been translated from the original word, which was shalom. God's peace is God's shalom. And God's peace is about the absence of things that are negative, but it is about something far richer and far deeper. The concept of God's shalom is more about the presence of things that are good and enriching in our lives. The shalom of God is about being at rest because of restored relationships with God, with each other, even a restored relationship with ourselves. God's shalom is about wholeness, being complete. Experiencing God's shalom is about experiencing a resetting or a recalibration back to how God intended life to be lived. Life in all its fullness, a way of living where God's constant ways of compassion, love, and mercy and truth and power set the agenda, not the external circumstances. And interwoven with God's shalom is the idea of the kingdom of God coming. That sense of people being enabled to flourish, to thrive to grow and to reach their potential because the rule and reign of God has come. Shalom, I leave with you. My shalom, I give you. But Jesus said more than that. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they should be called children of God. So I just want you to think about where there are peacemakers in the world today. Where are there peacemakers at work? You might have thought immediately of Ukraine, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Northern Ireland. We could go on, couldn't we? Places where there are peacemakers Peacemakers who are there to bring two warring sides together. Peacemakers who bring the two sides to the table to facilitate a conversation that brings about a compromise, that brings an end to conflict. 
So when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, was this what he had in mind? Because he's speaking this on a hillside to ordinary people, men, women, young people, and he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, the context in which these words were spoken is the Roman occupation. And the people who were the Jews, many of them didn't like the Romans living in their country. And so they're often rebellions and uprisings. So is Jesus saying to you, look, then what I want you to do is to be peacemakers. I want you to get the Romans, perhaps the governor of your city, and the people who are your representatives, like the religious leaders, and I want you to get them around the table and talk about how they share power. This was no doubt a vital job that could have been done. But I don't think Jesus was actually saying that because that's not something that was part of the New Testament church that we later read about. So I want to suggest a different way to think about being one of God's peacemakers. Listen to these words. Seek the shalom of the city where I have carried you into exile. And pray to the Lord for it. For in the shalom of the city, you shall have shalom. We've all heard the stories of UK citizens who've been in the Ukraine who've been taken behind enemy lines and have ended up hundreds of miles away from Ukraine facing execution. If that was you, would you see yourself as a peacemaker? Jeremiah, who said those words, is speaking to the Jews who have been at war for many, many years They've been oppressed, first by the Persians and then by the Babylonians. And it's right at the end of the war, and Israel has already fallen, and Judah is about to fall too. And the Babylonians have come and have taken away some of the citizens and removed them forcibly from their homeland, from their family, from their friends, and have taken them hundreds of miles behind enemy lines and he says to them pray for the shalom of the city in which you find yourself because in praying for the shalom of this city you too will have shalom pray for God's blessing God's completeness God's wholeness God's well-being to come in the place where you are in exile And in some mysterious way, as you do that, you too will experience God's wholeness, God's completeness, God's sense of well-being in your life, despite the external circumstances in which you find yourself. These words were spoken two and a half thousand years ago, but I happen to believe that um, Jeremiah did speak these words. And in the Old Testament, we see um, the progressive revelation of God's character and heart. And I think that this is an eternal truth. Pray for the shalom of the city in which you find yourselves.
Now, I would like to say at this point that I am Welsh. I am not English. I do not see myself as an exile here. But neither do I see myself as cheering on England in rugby. <laughs> or even football. Or even anything. For my birthday, which was this week, I had a Welsh flag. And this Welsh flag is going to go up in school in a declaration that I am Welsh. So I live in Bath, but I wasn't born in Bath. Now, I don't think I'm an exile. Now, you may not think, wherever you come from, that you're an exile living in the UK. But can I just say that if you have chosen to be a follower of Jesus, there are some passages in the, in the New Testament that point to the fact that we need to consider that we are now citizens of heaven. And we are exiles here. This is just temporary. And our true citizen is in heaven. And we've actually started that citizenship right now. So in some small way, we could think of ourselves as people who are in exile, who are called to pray for the shalom of the city, the context in which we find ourselves. And to be a peacemaker is to ask that the culture of the kingdom of heaven, which we as followers of Jesus have experienced, would be in our city, our communities, our workplace, our family, whatever context we find ourselves in. So being a peacemaker is not just about dealing with conflict. That is part of it. Being a peacemaker is about ushering in the shalom of God wherever we find ourselves. How? One way, through prayer. Pray for the shalom of the city in which you find yourselves. But I'm going to finish, and then Joe's going to come up in a minute. I'm going to finish to say, actually, this sounds so great, doesn't it? You know, shalom, I love it. You know, I really wish I would have more shalom. I'm really happy to share it with anybody here. But I had this huge problem because when I was doing my research, when I was reading about God's shalom, I just kept coming up against war. You know, so every time peace was mentioned, there was this sense of actually you can't be a peacemaker without accepting that there are going to be times when you will have to go to war. Being a peacemaker may also involve going to war. It's going to involve a battle. And I'm going to give you just two examples of this. We love the passage from Isaiah 9. We often read it at Christmas. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress... For unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Right in the middle of that passage, it talks about war. You have this lovely bit, look. Life is going to get better. Light is going to come. Oppression is going to be dealt with. 
because Jesus is coming. And the link is, when Jesus comes, it's going to be like in the days of Midian. So I looked at Midian and Gideon, and that whole little episode is in Judges 6. And this is an episode in the, in the Old Testament where the Israelites went through this like cycle of peace, moving away from God, oppression, deliverance, peace. Moving away from God, oppression, deliverance, peace. And it just goes on and on and on. So God had to raise up peacemakers, people who were prepared to go to war to bring peace back to the country. And Gideon was one of those guys. And God calls Gideon to go and deal with the oppression of the Midianites. He says, go, deal with oppression, bring the land back to a place of peace. Gideon does do this, and he sets up an altar. He sets up an altar, and he names it. He doesn't name it, the Lord is a great warrior. He doesn't name it, the Lord is power. He doesn't name it, the Lord will conquer everything. He says, the Lord is peace. So Gideon hears the call to battle, but he also hears the call to peace at the same time. Jesus, Matthew 10, he sends his disciples out. He says, go, go and make a difference to the communities in which you find yourself. Go and deal with oppression Go and deal with sickness. Go and deal with this. Go and deal with all those things that are negative and bring my shalom. Bring my wellness. Bring my wholeness. Bring my completeness to people. And Jesus says in verse 34, don't suppose I've come to bring peace. I have a sword. And so we have this strange connection between being peacemakers and also being called to engage in battle. We have in the Old Testament a very physical um, kingdom, kingdom of David and Saul and Solomon. And then we have in the New Testament the kind of not so clear kingdom of God. We have this continuum. We have a physical picture of what a kingdom of God's reign looks like. And we have this kind of spiritual dimension of the kingdom of God. God says, if we are peacemakers, if we are called to be people who bring the shalom of God to the city in which we find ourselves, we need to take action. It doesn't happen by osmosis. We need to do something. Being a peacemaker means that we may first be involved in doing battle against oppression, inequality, injustice, and exclusion. You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.